Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And it's probably not a surprise to hear that... (laughs) The navigator and the co-pilot are still talking to you from their at-home studio. Oh, this is month number three. And you know, this year was supposed to be the year we spent virtually the whole year in the motorhome. We had so many reservations and plans. and We spent the first four months, well, that was a little extended, but the first four months in the motorhome, and then we were going to be home for two months, and then we were going to spend another four months in the motorhome. You know, actually, we were supposed to leave right now. Oh. And on July 2nd, we were we had reservations at West Glacier uh, Park to... Visit the National Park. And do the fireworks on the 4th of July in Glacier National Park. Well, we canceled those reservations, needless to say, but we also found out that uh, West Glacier National Park, or Glacier National Park, the west entrance, was closed. So here we are. And this episode is titled, How I Spent My COVID Vacation. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, jeez. You got to laugh so you don't cry. Uh, somebody said the other day, if somebody asked you five years ago what you would be doing five years from then, nobody, nobody, nobody got, it got it right. <laughs> What's your five-year plan? Oh, I was going to be at the COVID vacation in five years. Oh, boy. And as, Even last year. As planful people, this is a very disorienting to us because we always have things to look forward to and things we want to accomplish and... It just ain't happening. If you ask me what I'm doing next week, I will be evasive about that. So we found out that the balloon festival was canceled. Um, in Albuquerque. In Albuquerque, which we were planning on going to. We even thought about doing that after, even after the caravan that we were going to go on was canceled. But now that that's canceled, we will not be traveling so out So we have no all. plans for the remainder of the year at all. Really? Really. So we did take good advantage of this time, however. We did? Well, I think so. What did you do? Uh, I got you into the hospital. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about something else. No. <laughs> yeah, well, when, when you're old, things don't always work right. And, I, and you're I, old. I um, lost the genetic lottery in terms of joints. Both my mom and dad were really crippled up by the time they um, left this earth. And I know that that's what I'm in for as well. So far, my strategy for handling joint pain is to ignore it, which is a lot easier to do when you're out in your RV, seeing the beautiful world, going on a trip to somewhere overseas. But it was very clear to me as we were hunkered down in Florida, waiting for it to be safe enough to go home, that I had a shoulder problem that just was not going to go away and was not ignorable. So So, I had my very first video conference with a PA who works with the orthopedic surgeon. And we did that in the motorhome from Florida. Right. It was a good experience for that kind of a problem. Yes. And to cut to the chase, I have seven little holes in my shoulder now because shoulder surgery. I have had rotator cuff surgery. I have eight by ten glossies of three <laughs> screws that they put in my shoulder, and it's the most painful 
surgical procedure I've had, com- you had that many. compounded by the fact that you are supposed to recover from it sitting upright in a chair sleeping uh, to sleep. Yes. And I don't do that. So if I, there are things that I say that don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> it's because you're very tired. <laughs> I haven't had a good night's sleep for over a month. More than that. Really. Anyway, the recovery time for this is 12 to 16 weeks. So we decided that as long as we're going to be home we might as well accomplish ex- something. extended period of time, we may as well uh, have the surgery. We were planning on possibly having it in the fall. And if things had gone as we had actually planned, we didn't know when we were going to have this. And of course, you don't know how severe it's going to be. But it was getting bad. So yeah. we uh, decided to push it up just as as close to the beginning of the summer as we possibly could make it. So here at the beginning of June, she had uh, surgery, which was outpatient 90 minutes. It's, what, what kind of damage can they do in that period of time? A lot. Well, it takes 12 to 16 weeks. <clears throat> and then that means that poor Ken... But the RV navigator... <laughs> Has a new job title. <laughs> he's no longer navigating. <laughs> oh, yes. He's navigating in the kitchen. <laughs> so she can't drive, and she has trouble eating. She can't cut up her food because her one arm is uh, disabled. I can't even type. Oh, yes. Only and, of course, we've had a really good time putting on clothes yeah. and doing all those things that uh, <clears throat> women have to do for themselves, but a man has no idea how to do it. Like That's certain so sure. undergarments have That's to be. That's so sure. <laughs> A man never parted hair oh, in his life. He's never, well, it's been a fun time, and I guess productive. I mean, it's not productive. There's we're not, been a waste, lot of, we're not wasting time. A lot time. of downtime, but... Hopefully I'm uh, accomplishing something. It hasn't been pleasant, and uh, but we hope that uh, in the long run that things uh, turn out better. Uh, so if you've had surgery, you know debilitating. I don't know how you do it by yourself either. No, no. I you could. have to have somebody who's going to do a little something to help you out. So I've spent some time uh, fixing the RV navigator. We've when you had, weren't fixing me? Yes. Well, when I haven't been tending to you. <laughs> Fortunately, you've been able to do your own bathroom. Yes. <laughs> and I'm a little more capable every day. And we hope that by the next podcast that you're in really good shape. That I can drive. But, of course, they've canceled the fireworks and stuff. How do you cancel fireworks on the 4th of July? Our town's having them. Stay-at-home fireworks, yeah. where you stay at home and you look in the sky and you they see... They have it in three different locations I so know. everybody can well, see. Is that a joke? Well, Jeez. they're trying. You, yeah. every, you have to think outside the box. Yeah, I guess so. So our COVID vacation has been to go take care of medical procedures yeah. and to update the RV Navigator. And you probably noticed, if you're a regular listener, that last month you had a bonus episode. Really? Yes. What was it? Episode six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of you have been lying to us. No. Every so often we get um, an email from somebody who says, I enjoyed no, your you podcast can't, no, you can't, so you can't much. You say bad things about the listeners. I enjoy your podcast so much, I went back and listened to them from the very beginning. And it's very clear to me you can't do that. No, you well, Many of them in the very beginning, you can't maybe, maybe. get them to play. Well, that's the XML file gets corrupted, I guess. Hmm. So I've gone back and tried to fix this. But... A lot of you downloaded episode six as well as episode one eighty two last month. Why? Because it looked because, new. Ah. Because I accidentally made the date of oh. uh, right now, uh-huh. so that iTunes thought that it was a brand new episode. So what did we talk about in episode six? It was actually pretty good. It was our coming home from. South Africa. Oh, that was a great trip. And if you haven't listened to that trip, it's actually very interesting. We did a six, six weeks RV trip in South Africa. 
And if you haven't listened to that, whew, you know, we saw the lions and the tigers from our RV, something you cannot do in the United States, even in Alaska. You know, we had elephants, we had monkeys climbing into our RV, trying to get in. And of course, I was driving oh, on the left-hand side, stick, stick shift. shift, a motorhome. Little one. Well, 25 feet. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was... A very interesting was, experience. For the roads we were on, it was plenty big. It was plenty big. And I only made a couple of mistakes driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> we didn't hit anything. Unlike, the toughest thing is left-hand turns. Unlike some of the people that we traveled with. So, episode six, if it's there and you feel like listening to it, is probably worth a listen. And it will probably be back in its normal location later on this month. And you're going to try to and I've gone activate through, and I've some of the Oh, they're all activated, I think. So I've gone, well, I've, well, I've no, not all of them, but I've gone back and fixed, I fixed about 30 of them. Well, there are about 30 more that still need it. <laughs> from what so, I dear see. listener, we know that your COVID vacation might not be as jam-packed with fun things to do as ours is. <laughs> so, so you may want to go back and listen to some of the old episodes, and I have taken steps to make sure that that can happen. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, and uh, this is wait, done wait. by a person who is paid to do the podcast, paid. unlike me. And you could tell that he was struggling for things to talk about because you're so limited in what you can see and do these days. So he asked his listeners to send in their favorite old episode of his that they had already listened to. <laughs> and then he just aired that one again. <laughs> oh. So if you really like episode six. <laughs> if you really like episode six, we will make it the primary one for next month. Or maybe episode five. Or episode, well, well, that's a great idea. So you won't be hearing from us for a while. We'll just take by popular demand uh, requests. Uh-huh. Who will know the difference? But the problem is they can go back and look. Oh, I should take them all. Well, no, I can't take them all down and then put them back. Put them back. Yeah. Then they'll all be downloaded again. I don't know. Uh-huh. So next month when you come to download the podcast, you get fifty of our. <laughs> I have to be careful about the dates. Yeah, yes, that yes. is. Uh, yeah, I didn't, wasn't quite clear about how to do that. I'm still a novice at this podcasting stuff, but for the time being, you are listening to the RV Navigator podcast uh, for July 2020, episode 183. And of course, we have a lot to talk about today. We do? Yeah, we have a lot of RVing experience and we have a lot of... A lot of things, uh, topics that we can talk about, but you will probably want to go and visit the RV Navigator webpage, which is at rvnavigator.com. And of course, we make a webpage for every episode, which has all the links and as well as many more links of things that we don't have a chance to talk about. It's an eclectic mix of stuff that I just find interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you go there. You check out some of the things. I have a couple of jokes that are going to be after this month. I can't. Last month we had. Very good response from our <laughs> meager efforts at being humorous. But <laughs> did we? Yes, we did. But that's not my forte. No, but it was kind of funny. Uh, but we have some cartoons to put up there this month at dealing with the COVID and RVing, and I have lots of links to good stuff. And of course, anything that we talk about in the podcast today, like episode six, <laughs> will be there for your 
uh, listening pleasure, and that's at the RV Navigator website. So what should we start with first? Well, we, we are hearing, but obviously have no experience ourselves, that RVing is really growing in popularity yeah. because people feel safe about being in an RV as opposed to a hotel room or an Airbnb or uh, some other place to stay. We had friends visit us recently from Florida, where we stay in the winter, and they are camped near us here in our at-home studio and told us that that campground was yes. quite full. Yes. And uh, we are hearing that that's the case all over. Um, I don't quite know what people are doing once they get to these campgrounds. Our friends were not able to use the pool or the tennis court. Yeah, or there yeah. were a lot of things that were restricted and closed. Uh, certainly, and they couldn't even go fishing. The, yeah, they the could, yes, they could fish, but, but the docks were closed. Not on the so they couldn't fish yeah. from the pier. Sheesh. So certainly, if you can find a nice Army Corps of Engineers site that's out in the boonies somewhere, you can enjoy the water and the blue sky and the peace and tranquility of nature. But in terms of the typical things that we often do when we are on camping trips, and, and it we, ain't happening. And as we mentioned, even some of the national parks, like East End of Glacier, is closed off so that you can't even go do that. So that's kind of a shame, but not unexpected, I guess. Uh, we are looking at doing something in the fall. Well, but we can't plan. Yeah. When we came home from Florida, our state was locked up tighter than a drum, and Florida was quite freewheeling. And now vice versa is the case, probably because <laughs> they were too freewheeling. We're even, even limiting people from Florida. Here so, you, you know, so we think, of where would we like to go? We have many possibilities, but what shape will they be in in the fall when we want to go there? Or will there be this second spurt yeah, of, yeah. who knows? They're talking about October as being a yeah, big month yeah. for... So, so we may be home for a while. So we want to give the motorhome some exercise and see how well my arm works in the fall. <laughs> but the plans remain indeterminate. But we have gone out there to check it out and to make sure that it is still in working condition. Moving the slides and starting the engine and running the generator. and Looking for mice. Putting this, uh, looking for what? Mice. Mice? Yeah. Oh. But this time of year, the mice don't like our motorhome. No. They come in there when it's cold. Yeah. Our motorhome is just kind of stashed away. You probably should check yours out. Um, and certainly, if you're going to take it out, you want to check it out before you do it. I would bring it home and make sure that everything is working before I took it out. After it's been sitting for three or four months. Something's always totally wrong with something. No matter how good a care you take of it. Now, your first big RV tip here. This is going to save you thousands of dollars. What is it? Have you replaced your lights with LEDs? Oh, we did a lot of them, but and it was kind of pricey. Very pricey. We had, uh, well, we have these kind of bayonet lights that we have all over the motorhome. We replaced those lights, many of them last year at the Tampa Super Show, and we were paying hmm, 6 to $10 per light. $10? I don't remember how much we paid. I didn't think it was that much. But we have a lot of lights, and it, all, it added up. It was up. like 25 yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it added up, and... LED lights, there's no question that they're better. They don't reproduce, they don't have any heat, they produce a lot more light, and they use a lot less electricity. I mean, it's like one-tenth of the power that an incandescent light uses. But a lot of people are reluctant to put them in. Why? Because they're expensive. Because they're expensive. But I just found this on Amazon. This is way cool. And that you can buy a pack of 20 20 LED lights that are the standard bayonet mounts that you'd find the 1041s that replace many of the lights that you have on the interior of your motorhome or your or your trailer you know the ones in the fixtures and that were not LEDs before 
So these are regular incandescent bulbs, but they have a lot more uh, light because they're LEDs. And 20 you get in one package. Four. What do you think? I don't remember what you paid, but it wasn't much. 20 bucks. A buck a piece. Wow. Uh, come down to a buck a piece. Wow. Uh, of course, you can do this search on Amazon, but if you want the link, of course, you'll find it on our on our website. But that's it. this is t- this is the time. Technology brings the prices down as time goes along, and this is an ex- ideal example of that. You've never been able to buy LEDs for a buck a piece, and so you can buy a ton of them and replace all of them. Of course. I bought 20. Well, the, uh, we use them in the closets, in yeah. the bays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I probably have 10 or 15 of these outdoor lights, your turn signals. All those lights can be changed to LEDs with these because they have the standard bayonet base, which is very nice. Are they going to be brighter than the ones that we paid a lot more they, for? They're not the same as the ones we paid a lot more for. I didn't. I wasn't looking for those. Th- those have a different base, oh. and so they probably they're a buck too now. These are... They say about two and a half times brighter than a standard incandescent, mm. and use one tenth the power, I'm and produce almost no heat. I'm still not satisfied with the brightness in our motorhome. Sorry. <laughs> now she tells me. Well, I don't think there is. There's not much I can do about that. Yeah, there isn't anything better than this. At least not now. No. But keep your eyes open. Okay, so buy super brights. So now I'm depressed. Why? I can't satisfy my wife. <laughs> as long as you keep cooking, I'll be satisfied. And vacuuming. And vacuuming. And yeah. driving. I have to go to PT. Why do I have to go to PT? Well, he has to drive me there, and then they don't even let him in because oh, of the is really bad. regulations. He has to sit they in the car the door. I can't even go sit in the waiting room. They won't even let me in the God-blessed building. Yeah. I have to go sit someplace. Well, I have to go sit in the in the car. They don't want your cooties. During her PT. And, of course, we're wearing masks and stuff. Well, we should be. That's one of the best ways to protect yourself, apparently. <sighs> okay. Now, another cool feature. This is just full of bargains today. This was a bargain? Yeah, it was a this bargain. Was a, this, this was, was a, a real bargain. A lot of motorhomes and a lot of people want uh, extra refrigeration, extra fridge space. Especially if you're a fisherman. All the people we know that go to Alaska bring back tons of salmon that they caught themselves. And we have Our RV did not come with the optional Dometic refrigerator that, that goes in one of your bays. A lot of motorhomes have a refrigerator in the bay. And it runs off the battery power. It's a DC operated. But the Dometic who makes the makes this, they charge you eight nine hundred bucks for one. Kaching kaching. And I just have not been able to quite justify spending eight or nine hundred dollars on a remote refrigerator, even if we needed the capacity. I mean, we have the we have a big residential fridge. Yeah, which has a which decent is size. Smaller freezer. than our fridge at home. Probably for me, not being a fisherman, when we like go to Costco and you want to buy a large amount yeah. of something, that's when I miss my extra space. But Costco sent me an ad for a DC compressor refrigerator that was similar to the Dometic, and it was only 250 bucks. Actually, a little bit less than that. Now, so it's a decent piece of change, but it is dramatically less than any other freezer that I'd ever seen before. Now, this is a DC refrigerator, and it has a compressor, so it doesn't require any ice. It looks like an ice chest, but it doesn't require any ice because it plugs into your cigarette lighter. So you don't end up with a soggy loaf of bread. Right. So I bought that, and I bought a little battery pack to go with it and the battery pack we found out will run at about 12 hours 
which is very cool, so that we can put it in the back of the car and drive home. We can run it off the cigarette lighter in the car. Go to the beach and if, we if can the put beach it ever in, opens. We can put it into the bay of the motorhome and plug it into the motorhome, and it will keep it cold forever. And this is very cool because it not only does you can set the temperature, and it will keep it at that temperature, but you can also set it below freezing, and it will turn itself into a freezer. And it really did. You our, yes, it. we made ice. Mm-hmm. And it has handle and wheels, so even though it's a good size, it's, it's manageable to roll around we and travel the, with it. We bought the 40-quart size. They have a, a bigger one that was just a few bucks more, but I thought, eh, the size is just a little bit too much. So this is uh, another type of product that's, I think, going to come down in price and make it much more viable for uh, RVers to have as a second refrigerator because a lot of the absorptive refrigerators, which people have and most of you have in your motor home have a very small freezer or trailer or trailer yeah yeah of course in your rv you need to be aware of this as a as an option these days uh, because if you're not going to spend eight or nine hundred dollars on one unless you're spending i have a million dollars on the whole coach and a few extra bucks doesn't make any difference but for most of us that's that's really not an option now i want to talk a little bit about refrigeration because i think uh once again This is a topic which is very confusing for most people because they come into the RV and they open up the what looks like the refrigerator and it looks just like the one at home. And so they say, oh, okay, this has a freezer just like the one at home. But in fact, unless you have a residential refrigerator, it is not working the same way as the one at home. Most of them, the ones that are AC propane, are what they call absorptive refrigerators. And that's a very different process. We've talked about this before, but uh, I think it needs to be reiterated because there are constant questions about what it needs to keep it working good. When we had an absorptive fridge, I was amazed that we had a pilot light because to me, lighting a flame to make my refrigerator cold made no sense. And that's one of the things that you have to keep in mind is, is that the propane or the AC electric is used to heat the coils in the back of the refrigerator to make it cold. Now, you don't have to worry about how it works, but what you need to know is that there's a heat source back there, and it creates what looks like what is a chimney. And you'll notice that on the top of your RV, there is an exit for the hot air. And there's an open flame, which means that many RV fires begin in that part of the RV. Right, because that flame, if the coolant (laughs) turns into a hotent... (laughs) I guess if there's a leak in the coolant, it will start on fire, and that's where the fires start. Uh, Of course, with an absorptive refrigerator, you not only have you have a a bay on the outside, a door which opens up into the outside of the refrigerator, and then you have a chimney which has a an exit on the top, and that airflow is critical to the operation of your refrigerator. Whether you use propane and have a flame, or whether you have an electric heating element run by AC, really doesn't make much difference. It just requires a heat source at the bottom. But what is very critical is is that that chimney be cleaned out and that they have free air circulation. Now, on our last one, I put in uh, fans to actually circulate the air, to suck it from the bottom and, and throw it out the top, the hot air. 
If your refrigerator isn't doing that, then it's not going to work effectively. The more air you get through that system, the better your refrigerator will work. Now, these refrigerators are basically solid, well, not solid state, but they're basically no moving parts. So they work and work for a long time, but they get corroded as a result of the heat and the exchange of, uh, of from gas to liquid that the refrigerant goes through. But they they have had very good results, but you need a little bit of maintenance. And that flame out there has to be free-flowing, and it has to go around the coils. And, and if you switch to AC, of course, you have to have the heating element out there. So that's why it sometimes works on AC. If the AC goes out or if you're running down the road and it's running on propane, it works fine. It was just as cold as it would be if it were on AC. Can we also have problems like if a spider builds a nest in there? Of course, that's a big problem. Or if any, there's any blockage in the airflow. These refrigerators are prone to not cooling well sometimes because they depend on the free airflow. And if the air is not flowing, then it's not going to work well. Also understand that the refrigerant or the coolant starts in the refrigerator in the freezer and moves down into the refrigerator. So if you lose some coolant or if there's a problem, the refrigerator may be warm, but the freezer may be frozen because it flows down. So the the leftover, after it freezes in the freezer, goes down into the refrigerator and cools that. So if there's not enough to go down into the refrigerator, then the refrigerator itself won't be cold. I'm trying to remember when we had an absorptive fridge, it seemed like it took a long time when we were at home loading up before we could actually put stuff like milk in there that could go bad quickly. Our residential fridge seems to cool down more rapidly. Because it's mechanical and it has fans because it it is a residential fridge. It is just like the one you have at home. And this has been a big plus because freezer is independent of the refrigerator it has a compressor which is run by a electric and it only runs on electric so the residential refrigerator only has the option of of ac power so you have to have an inverter and batteries to keep it running when you're not plugged in whereas the absorptive is very nice because it runs on propane which a tank of propane will last a long time with a absorptive refrigerator but it has the some other problems that residential fridges don't have like a big freezer it just can't do a big freezer you don't find the the giant four-door refrigerator like we have in our motorhome you have to go out for ice cream you yes. can't have it at home yeah. no you can have refri- you can have ice cream but it's going to take up a lot of space and you might not have space for other things yeah. so those are the two types that most motorhomes homes have or most rvs have and that is the absorptive and the and the residential residential requires external power you have to have the ac power so you have to have batteries small refrigerators can have a dc compressor so this runs off the batteries and is a compressor type of coolant system using standard refrigerant. And it's very, very efficient in terms of cooling. For the small battery I have, will keep this thing cold or frozen for many hours. The other type that you find are the solid state coolant where it uses a PNP connection to cool things. And it can, those can either cool or heat. What's but they're a PNP? not PNP? It's a transistor connection. Okay. So they apply power to a transistor side, and, and one, one way it heats and the other way it cools. These are 
waste a lot of power and they don't get very cold and you don't have any control. Whereas this new one that we have, actually you set the temperature at 35 and it brings it down to 35 and it cycles on and off to keep it at 35. You set it at 15 degrees and it zips all the way down to 15, freezes things and then cycles there. The battery will, the, either the portable or the batteries from the motorhome will keep it uh, in good shape cold-wise. So you can just leave it in the bay and it will work. Now I've put a couple of articles up on the, the website for your reference about uh, these different types of refrigerators and probably more lengthy explanations. One more thing that you need to remember is, is that the absorptive require 12 volt as well as probable use of uh, AC power because the 12 volt is used to run the thermostat and the controlling system. So you have to have battery power always and then you can use either propane or AC to do, to do the heating. Is that clear? Yes, but where does solar come into this? Oh, I bought a solar generator. There is no such thing. But these days it's very popular to see advertised solar generators. What the hell is a solar generator? I, I don't know. I don't understand what that means. A.K.A. battery. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> there is no such thing as a solar generator. But the battery pack that I bought for running the little refrigerator was called a solar generator. Even though it doesn't sit in the sun. It has the option of buying a solar charging that you put out in the sun. Uh-huh. But the battery, the solar charger was 150 bucks extra. Mm. Whereas the one that you plug it into the wall to recharge the battery came with it. Mm-hmm. So why bother? Yeah. Solar is still not I mean, practical for many things. Solar is not practical at all. And there is no such thing. Be careful when you're buying these things. They now sell these suitcase size batteries that they call solar generators. And it's just a battery. And when you deplete it, you have to charge it. Now, how you charge it is up to you. You can use a solar panel and spend all the next day charging it up. Or you can plug it into the wall and charge it up overnight. Uh, but one way or the other, it's got to be charged. It's not a generator in the sense that we have a generator like our little Honda that we had. Oh, We had a power failure at our house. We did. For six hours. Now, what would I have done if I had just a solar generator? <laughs> we had. We had to go out to eat the way it was. We had a clear sky, sunny no storm, day. No storms. Power outage. For six hours, and we never really did get an explanation about what why what caused it. And I was a little surprised that our residential fridge went all, went up to about fifty five degrees in, in that those time. six hours. So I got out our Honda generator, not our solar generator, but our Honda generator, which I keep as a spare around the house. And for just such occasions, I ran all the cords around to keep the. Well, as it became dark, I decided that was what the time I was going to do this. So to keep the refrigerator and the freezer and the stuff in the house, and we were even in, in the motorhome, you wouldn't have to worry about this. And you could run a TV <coughs> and a light. On most of our electronics, I have UPSs. You're supposed to ask what a UPS is. But I know. It's like a battery backup. Very good. I have a, We have battery backups. So many times in the t- when the TVs go off, I don't even see the... We it doesn't even it. blink. We don't even know the power goes off. If it goes off for five minutes, it just... Nothing, nothing changes for us. And, of course, in the motorhome, you have an inverter. And an inverter with batteries connected up to it is just a large UPS. You keep saying motorhome. Is that true for our... Anybody who has an in- inverter. Okay, so a nice fifth wheel would have Nice fifth wheel would have this too, yes. Thank you for making that correction. Many times in the motorhome, we've had this issue where we lose power and we don't even know it. 
Because all the lights are still on. They're Until 12 volt. I try to use the microwave. The then t- we know it. <laughs> the TV is on because we have this uninterruptible power supply, a UPS, called an inverter in the motorhome. It doesn't even blink when the power goes off. A lot of people ask me or ask, why should I keep my inverter on full time? Which we do. We never turn it off except when the motorhome is put to sleep. Why? Because it acts as a UPS and will protect your electronics. Which is very critical. So the TV and things will not blow out as a result of power spikes. But that one time when a ball of lightning rolled down well, the center we, of our RV, <laughs> it blew up the inverter. That didn't was it? when we had a cheap travel trailer, and I had no <laughs> no safety equipment on it at all. That's exactly the kind of thing that you would, this this would avoid. An inverter, a UPS at home, I have all of these things to protect my electronics so that they don't uh, get damaged. When you have an unexpected power outage, of course, my UPS is here at home only run for a half an hour or so, so I did have to go out. I had to go out and get my real generator, not my solar generator, and I had to get it going and make sure that everything was going to be working. We got a nice email from somebody named Jenny who said one topic I would like to hear more about is what you do to prepare your home for the times you are traveling. (laughs) Do you have a checklist for items to be done that you could share? Do you have someone come in to care for the landscaping, etc.? We're looking forward to travel when my husband retires in a year or so, but I have to admit I don't know how to leave our home for extended periods of time. Any tips would be appreciated. We live in a gated adult community. In a home carefully selected for our lifestyle. Which is we moved be, here specifically because which is to be gone most of the time. we wanted a no-maintenance house. And no-maintenance means that to us that they take care of all the exterior maintenance. We pay a monthly association fee, and that takes care of snow removal, grass cutting. They, they do pruning. They prune and, and weed and do the outdoorsy and, things. So that our house looks like everybody else's house, and as the grass is cut at the same interval that everybody else's is cut. So we never have to worry about it. We can just lock the door and leave. We do have some good neighbors who will well, we'll watch over things in case something goes wrong. And if you call them up, you know, they'll go over and... And it's gated, so it's less likely that some robber-type person would come in and do us harm in that way. And you have all the lights on timers. Timers, which we do. And now you have some cameras so we can see what's going on both inside and outside just to kind of uh double check and make sure everything is okay but quite honestly all we really use them for is is to see if it's snowing (laughs) or not (laughs) it's so good in florida to see the snow (laughs) oh look it's snowing and it's 75 degrees here um but other than that we do shut off the water turn off the water heater but I leave the internet on and I leave the electricity on for the lights and things. But basically, we have no checklist because there's nothing to do. I do <laughs> strange things. I put the toilet seats down. I put. Uh, I close the drains so that the water doesn't evaporate. And as you know, we were gone from December through April this year, uh, somewhat extended time. And our house came, we came back and everything was normal. And certainly it's a good idea to take all of your food with you. Uh, One winter, we didn't have room for all the snack type stuff that, that we had bought and we left some behind, which attracted the mice who moved in for the winter and and left a big mess. Um, Now when I leave food behind, that's not like, in a can. I have big Tupperware containers. I 
put it in with a lid so that the mice can't get at it because you don't want to make things too appealing for them. I think the biggest issue for us is forgetting something at home. <laughs> we have a spare bedroom and we use it as a staging area. So for the weeks coming up to a time when we're going to be leaving for an extended trip, we take our stuff and put it into the staging area so that we don't forget anything. It's just all in there in a, in a lump. As you remember stuff, you just go and put it in. There's mail, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah. We use a mail forwarding service. Right. And, and some people have um, children who live in their homes and take care of them that way. I know somebody who went away for a whole year who rented their house out. That would be another yeah. way to do it. I don't know that I'd be comfortable doing that. No. But it worked fine for them. Jenny also had a question because she said you were talking about hotspots and she had no idea what that was. Well, a hotspot is a data port for cellular data, usually. I mean, that's the, the, the common way that it's used today. So instead of having a phone connected to the cellular system, you have a data port so that you can have Wi-Fi. So it takes the cellular data, turns it into Wi-Fi so that you can hook up multiple devices like your computer or your iPad to the Internet. But physically, what is it? It's a little puck-like thing. So you can hold it in your hand. It's oh, yeah, a thing. and it's battery-operated. Because when you say port, it sounds like something you oh, plug okay. into no. Well, it has a, a, a power port, so it uses, but it uses also a battery, and it's about four inches square usually. And all of the companies offer them, but it's an extra expense for you to have uh, data only from your cellular. And, of course, data is expensive these days, so... We have a couple of these. And I'm sure we've talked about it before, but most recently we use a different carrier for our hotspot than we do for our cell phones because when you travel, sometimes one carrier is um, stronger or more available than others, and we're kind of hedging our bets. Actually, we have two hotspots, one on each two, on two different carriers. So we have an unlimited Verizon and then an AT&T one, just so that we always have data because you just can't rely on Wi-Fi at campgrounds. We were traumatized the summer we <laughs> drove from Montana through the Dakotas into Minnesota without any Wi-Fi. Yes. I was getting ready to go to Canada, and we were working on how to make sure that we had uh, Internet while we were in Canada from a Wi-Fi hotspot, and now that's all out the tubes. Doesn't down the matter. tubes, out the drain, down. Uh, we got another nice email from a listener giving us a, a topic to talk about again. Um, I've been listening to the podcast for the last month or so. I find them fascinating. Thank you. Recently, I am trying to listen to episode 62 to hear your <laughs> thoughts on wintering in Texas. Fixed, fixed. Florida. Using my iPhone podcast app, it says this episode is not available, but fixed. So what he wants us to talk about is wintering in Florida or Texas, so where to spend the winter. He's from the Midwest, as are we, and probably shares our sensibility that it's time to leave this area, certainly after the holidays. As most of you know, we spent five or six years going to different parts of the country in the winter, actually more time more than that, I would say more like 10 years, visiting different parts of the country in order to determine where we would find the best place to, to winter. For us. For us. And there are lots of factors to consider. But as most of you know, we bought a lot in Titusville, Florida, uh, because we felt this, <laughs> we walked in and within 
two weeks after staying there, we said, this is it. We finally found it. And so we bought a lot there, and we go down for the winter into Titusville. Not that we won't be going other places, but that's uh, a good place to be. And as we found out this year with the coronavirus and things, that it was very nice to have a spot that you owned and could stay on as long as you wanted, and it wouldn't cost you anything, and you didn't need any extra reservations. And nobody or could kick you out and nobody lock the door. Nobody could kick you out, right. So... With that said, we have there are three main areas where I think you'd find lots of RVers that spend the winter. Arizona and multiple parts of Arizona, Texas, mostly in the Rio Grande Valley, and then most of Florida, and I would say below south of Jacksonville is an area which probably won't freeze. There will yeah, be some cold nights, but so you have those three areas. The Rio Grande Valley is on a par with Sarasota and Arizona has its own weather and its own climate. So let's start with the West. We have spent several winters in Arizona. We like it very much. Specifically Tucson. We've spent some time in Phoenix, Gold Canyon. Uh, we've never, and Quartzsite area, we've never been down to Yuma, but this should be very similar. We very much enjoyed Arizona. Tucson. And we would very much recommend you spending time there. And as Midwesterners, we have grown to be much more sensitive to altitude because there are parts of Arizona, when you look on the map, you think they're pretty far south, but people are skiing there in the winter. Yeah. So you you have to keep that in mind as you choose where you're going to spend your time. Yuma is very low, close to sea level, and consequently is quite warm in the winter. Arizona has a very volatile climate in the winter in terms of temperature. Um, you can be wearing shorts during the day when the sun is out and it's bright and shiny, but because it's so dry, once the sun goes down, uh, sometimes the part that felt pretty good. But that's nice. I mean, that's a very pleasant, dry climate, and the weather is extremely consistent you can say next wednesday i'm going to go on a hike and you can bet that it's going to be sunny and warm just automatically whereas in florida you can never say that it does rain in arizona but not in the winter from right. from our experience and the, the weather is just as extremely pleasant and you know we really like the dryness it does have an entirely different feel to it because there is no grass and there's lots of barren mountains and sand and but there's a lot to do in Florida and in Arizona. Lots of campgrounds. I can't speak to right now. These are special times, but we generally have not had trouble getting reservations for the month of February, which is probably the most popular month for people to get away. It's good to have reservations. Yes. But if you don't, you'll find somewhere to stay. And if worse comes to worse, Especially there's a lot things. of um, Bureau of Land Management, land where you can go and boondock for free. So that's always there if you need it. We, we, looked, we looked at Gold Canyon, which is uh, by Phoenix, on the east side of Phoenix, near the Superstition Mountains. And there is a place there where you can buy a house with an RV garage, and it's more like uh, what we're finding in Florida. So in you have uh, the Gold Canyon area, and then you have the Phoenix area, which we found in the Mesa area, which is hundreds and hundreds of campsites. But they're all very close together, and it's uh, very communal living, shall we say. But it's easy to get away. But, and you're, of course, in a very big city. And, of course, depending where you are, you can spend more or less money. Right. But I would say, as a whole, I would call Arizona camping in the winter as moderately priced. 
uh, on the order of uh, eight $900 a month. And even though you didn't mention it, people go to Southern California in the winter as well, which yeah. is generally very expensive. Yeah, but ca- well, California just doesn't have the ca- – not as much as as you'll find. You know, Lake Havasu, there are lots of areas out there, but they're all pretty much the same. So now Texas. Uh, Texas is extremely welcoming <laughs> to RVers. They call us winter Texans, and they roll out the red carpet because it's – Big business. So if you go in the Rio Grande Valley by Brownsville and Harlingen, McAllen, McAllen, uh, you go, you drive on that highway, and there are hundreds of, literally hundreds of campsites of all different qualities, lots of activities, uh, and lots of activities outside the park because a lot of entertainers come from Branson, and they do concerts and things. So we found that to be very fun. Square dancing is very square big dan- Yes, huge shuffleboard, indoor uh, air-conditioned shuffleboard. You find that Texas is windy, dusty, and the ocean is uh, at cool. least half an hour away, and you can't cool. go swimming in cool, it. Cool, yeah. Right. Uh, be aware that uh, South Padre Island, which has a big reputation during most of the year, is not good for the winter. <laughs> There's a huge... Nice KOA. There's a big State county park, park uh-huh. which is almost empty during the winter season because nobody wants to stay there because it's so windy and cold. <laughs> However, in the uh, McAllen area, there are a lot of nice campgrounds in that area. Of course, you can go into Mexico, huh? at least most years. They have lots of, uh, as I say, activities, and it's it, the weather is nice. You probably uh, won't wear shorts a lot, but you also don't need a coat a lot. It's dry. Uh, there's more rain than there is in, in Arizona, but uh, it's it's certainly tolerable. And we found the people to be very friendly. Generally, the people who camp in the Rio Grande Valley are more are not urban people. Yes. When you look at the map of the United States and you look at the states that lie north of Texas, a lot of these people will talk to you about their farms um, and their agricultural pursuits, which we can't relate to. That's not to say that there aren't people from other parts of the country, but primarily it just makes sense geographically. You just get in your rig and you head south. And if you want to buy something down there uh, on a more permanent basis, Rotama, which is in, hmm, I forget the Donna, I think, no, I don't think it's Donna. Anyway, Rotama Village is uh, available for purchasing campsites, and we've talked about a number of people who have stayed there. Benson? Might be Benson, yeah. yeah. Um, Texas is the cheapest. Um, Probably six, seven hundred dollars a month will get you a very nice campground with full facilities in terms of uh, activities, you know, the tennis and the and the pool and the square dancing and handicraft clubs and all that sort of stuff. Computer clubs. Okay, so Florida is too crowded. Florida is very crowded, and you're not very welcome overall because there are too many old people people there already. However. Florida is, for us, a day shorter drive. So that is a big factor for us. And we have driven, we've stayed in all parts of Florida, and Florida is very green and very nice in the winter. But about this time of year, it's super hot. And humid. And very humid, unlike Arizona. Arizona is very hot, but not that humid. Uh, We found that uh, Florida suited our lifestyle the best. 
which is why we bought down there. And we, but we bought on the quiet coast, on the east coast, because the west coast is just too expensive and too too many people. Too many people. Yeah. Traffic. And we like our particular place because the sites are large. We don't feel like we're crowded in. Lots of wild animals. Lots of wild animals. Tons of, of things to do. Uh, we're right next to the Kennedy Space Center. Um, you know, all parts of Florida, everybody has their own interests, but it is very expensive overall. Uh, sites at our campground run in the fifteen to $1,600 a month range. Uh, which is fairly typical for Florida, and that's getting you everything but electricity. The sites are bigger, but the actual activities and things are very similar in all three locations. So it's it's kind of as a, you got to go to these places and check them out for yourself to see. And which I think ones if you want to spend a little less money, if you're in, in if you're in Central Florida, far from the beaches, yes. it's somewhat more economical, um, but not as pretty. The nice that one of the nice things we have is is that we are less than half an hour from a twenty mile long beach, which is virtually empty. It's a national seashore, so we can go to the beach and enjoy the Atlantic Ocean anytime we want to. The Atlantic does provide a bit of cooling. In the summer, in the winter time, the we- the the weather is really nice. <laughs> We're a little bit further north, so yeah. And obviously, the farther south you go, the warmer you're going to be, which means if you head all the way to the Keys, you could be spending one hundred twenty five dollars a night to yeah. camp there yeah well yeah if you want to go all that far so that's kind of our roundup of what's going on in terms of uh, winter wintering locations uh, if you have more questions please don't hesitate to ask us we're not trying to be tricky but trying to give you balanced information there is no best place for everybody and we have just found a place which is good for us oh, and another thing you want to watch out for in Florida in particular, there are a lot of Canadians there who come down from Quebec, and uh, they speak mostly French, and I don't mostly speak French at all. And um, I'm sure they are very nice people, but it's hard to make connections with them and do activities with them because you can't talk to each other. So you need to check out a campground from that perspective as well. I always like to talk about a few apps that you might want to give it a try to. I have uh, separate cameras, but I don't use my iPhone a lot for photography. But there is a new photography app for the iPhone as well as Android phones. It's called Photoshop Camera. Now, you might think of Photoshop as the photo editing tool, but this is an app which is free from Adobe. (gasps) Free! (laughs) My mantra. It is free. And it applies cool filters to pictures that you take within the app, which is uh, kind of fun to try out. I was doing it the other day while I was waiting at PT, learning how to use the app, and I took some pictures of some fairly mundane things, and it added star trails to my pictures, or it added interesting coloration to it. So this app is kind of uh, something that a lot of people are, are looking at. Popular with the Instagram crowd? Popular probably with that crowd. But I, I was, I think I showed the pictures to you. I mean, they, they were... They're cool. They're cool. And they it adds something to the pictures. I'm kind of a, a naturalist sort of picture guy, but uh, these these types of uh, additions make uh, your pictures pop. And so you might want to take a look at that, and that's called uh, the Photoshop camera, which you can get from your app store. And another one which we have, uh, we're waiting for, kind of, and this is kind of, could be kind of a game changer. We had an interview a couple months ago with, with the company who makes uh, RV Wizard. They were, he was talking about at that time that they were going to add GPS to their app. And apparently that has now happened. And to have the RV Wizard 
which is a trip planning tool. There are so many times on Facebook and other places where people say, well, how do I find out about campgrounds along the way? And can I, how do I say I want to go three, four hours every day? And, you know, it plans out all my trips. The I trip stop? wizard, and where should I stop? What are the campgrounds like? I mean, the trip wizard is the tool to use. And before this, you had to kind of export your, your trip and then put it into your GPS. Whereas now, it has the GPS built in, and you probably don't have to buy a Rand McNally or a Garmin because you can use your phone, and it downloads the data to your phone. I can't tell you how much how important this is that you have the GPS data in your phone at all times because you never know when your phone is going to crap out and not going to get data from the cell towers, and you're stuck there trying to figure out where to go. Or you're passing this big mountain range, and yes. the mountains are blocking your signal, or you're suddenly in a big city and there's skyscrapers and you can't get the signal then. So this is one of the biggest advantages of a standalone GPS is, is that it has all of the maps built into it. And so you never have to worry about having external connectivity. And it, it, freezing it up. On Whereas this one now has the capability to look ahead and download all of the data and the maps that you need for the day's trip, and it will then just navigate for you all the way. And it takes it right from the trip wizard, so you've made your, your routing already, and it will take you right to your campground. It sounds very cool. So I have not had a chance to use it, but uh, it sounds well worth a few bucks to well it actually comes free with the subscription to rv wizard so if you already have the rv wizard and i think i will be getting it in the well i'll probably Why? we're not going anywhere <laughs> <laughs> there fun. you go again trying to make plans oh, i would like to be using the trip wizard but i can't uh, another app that uh, I think is going to be a benefit to us is the Cirrus XM because we have Cirrus in our motorhome and, and I have this problem because I like to turn off the radio and then turn it on and it's kind of a mess and Cirrus can get to be kind of expensive. But one of the things I found out is, is that if you have one subscription, it gives you access to Cirrus stations on your phone or through their app. Oh. So you download the app, and it works with CarPlay. Oh, wonderful. Or Android, whatever, Android Audio. So that with one subscription, you can use it in all of your vehicles if you have data. Uh-huh. And it has more channels than your radio does that's in your vehicle. And it has on-demand. But it's not free. It's free with... A subscription. Yeah, but you can just, instead of subscribing to multiple radios for each vehicle, you can just subscribe to one and then... And use it all over use, where you take your phone. Is Sirius listening to this? Do they know this? <laughs> Either do they know that I'm going to be cheating? No, yes, okay. So we don't know about that. But if you like free music, there's another app called Radio Paradise. Unlike many music streaming services, Radio Paradise is like an old-school eclectic radio station, except no commercials and very little talking. You don't choose the music. They do. The assortment is great, and the app is easy to use with excellent sound quality. Free internet music radio station and it works with carplay and that is called radio paradise so take a look at that also and i put up an article which is called how cord cutters can listen to free music so if you like music in your motorhome this is the the shows you the apps that you need to uh take a look at to get that oh, 
I'm exhausted. Are you? Well, then I'm I'll... not used to doing these podcasts. I'm used to being on vacation. <laughs> My coronavirus vacation has involved a lot, a lot of sleep. A lot of sleep. Okay. One of the other things that happened since we spoke to you last is that we celebrated a milestone anniversary. In, oh, that's in right. my case, in a, in, co- a co- in a codeine haze, <laughs> uh, which, which made me feel quite nostalgic whenever I was awake enough to think about it. And I discovered that one of the wedding gifts that I had received Ooh. 50 years ago, which was a blender, was not functioning properly anymore. We've and been married 50 years? We have. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who would have guessed that Who we'd be spending our 50th anniversary? <laughs> and if I would have said, what am I going to be doing in 50 years when I got the day I got married? Giving my wife a bath. <laughs> <laughs> and clipping her toenails. Yeah. Okay. So Fun anyway. on your 50th wedding anniversary. So uh, my immersion blender that I, not, no, it was a... Not a... Ver- Food osterizer. Osterizer. Um was wasn't not working properly anymore. And um <laughs> my husband, the Amazon fanatic, went online and was all ready to buy a new one, but I had some nostalgic Only fifty fe- bucks. I had some nostalgic feelings. I bought a refrigerator. About this um, kitchen utensil, since my mother gave it to us when we got married, and I was able to find new blades for seven dollars, which was even cheaper than for fifty dollars. For a fifty-year-old device. So that got us to thinking about other devices that have electricity running through them. Um, how long can you use devices? What's the oldest device that we own? What's the oldest electric gadget that you have that still works? Now, mine is my dad's table saw which has to be at least 60 years old. Well, you got my food processor beat. <sighs> but it has to be more than 10 years before I was married. Anyway, it's at least 60 years old, and I still use it. It's still set up in our basement. Wonderful. And I still use my dad's table saw, so that's electric. But how about electronic? Probably not too much. Calculators, maybe? Yeah. There are a lot of calculators that have been around for a long time. So think about what the oldest thing you have yeah. I have a ten-year-old computer. <laughs> yeah, but those more, those more than were ten not years. invented that long ago. I have a, a Newton. <gasps> Next month we get to talk about all the all the new features on the Apple. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you have some cool gadget that you've been using for more than fifty years, well, what's the longest gadget that you've been yeah, using? Some of these people are not as old as we are. <laughs> Give them a break. Nah, everyone <laughs> who listens to this podcast is old, aren't they? <laughs> Oh, well, we're young at heart. Anyway, what's the oldest gadget that you use? Uh, it would be interesting just to see, and I'm going or, to put this on. Or maybe on. they inherited something from their grandpa. We like did. an old toaster or something. Yeah. So what is it that you use? Well, we'd like to say that we'll see you in a campground near us, but it's very Probably un- not. <laughs> not this month. Uh, you probably are. Well, a lot of people, though, might be going out this I month. It be, is summertime, and people do have vacations. I might be seeing you on the physical therapy table next to mine. <clears throat> Not me. No, not you. I have to be outside well, while you're doing while you're relaxing on the no, physical therapy. There are other people. Oh, well, we hope to hear from you maybe in the next month, um, and we will be back next month maybe with a plan. No, with a uh, a, a golden oldie. Uh, <laughs> we could just insert little segments from our. Do you think they would notice? Yeah. Our voices, have they changed at all? Have they? Well, we'd like to hear what episodes you, you not, think are good. Not now, a, not now that you can listen faces. to most of them. Well, anyway, so we will uh, turn it over to next month and hope that uh, the, your 
July is a good one. Enjoy the 4th of July if, you, if it's not happened yet. And we will see you in August when we will be... No, we will talk to you in August. <laughs> we probably will not see you. Yeah. When was the last time we were out to dinner? What? March 19th. M- March? March? Yes. Oh, my God. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I've had to cook since March. Well, there is carryout. God. And I was cooking before I had the food. So, ladies and gentlemen, we will <laughs> wind this up finally, and we'll say goodbye and hope to uh, hear from you in the next month. Goodbye for now. Happy travels. Happy tra- Yeah, well, they might be traveling. They might be. See ya. Bye.